Well, uh, good morning to everyone. Uh, We're wrapping up uh, our little anniversary series entitled, falling over here, entitled Far More. And uh, I think about um, our little church and uh, how much it has meant. Uh, hey, kids, kids, hey, look at me for a second if y'all don't mind. I am glad you guys are here. As uh, Luke said earlier, uh, God wants to speak to you. And here's the good news for you. I'm probably going to cry at some point, so you can laugh at that. And I'll make some silly jokes. We laugh at that, and we're going to hear about God. And so it's going to be a really good time for us, the faith family. But I think over the past 10 years, and for me personally, it is, um, well, me and Tracy celebrate 10 years uh, in July. And so it's a little mile marker for us, you know. I met her here at this church looking all, you know, hot and, and, and all that kind of stuff in the little kids area back there. I was like, Brad Barry, who is that right there? And he's like, that's Tracy. And um, there's a long and winding story there, which I will be happy to tell you about right there. God bless the broken road, right? And so um, that is so, y'all have no idea how funny that is. Ask Tracy, she'll tell you. Um, she's just laughing and, and embarrassed right now. But um, it has been, my kids have been born here. We adopted Hattie here. Um, it's been such a joy to just do life with you guys. And the past uh, few Sundays, we looked at these kind of core identity markers of us to church. That if you were there over 10 years ago in the hot tin building, there's like 10 of you here that were there. I wasn't there. You remember these three pictures, that we were going to be a team. We were going to do this together. There wasn't going to be a LeBron or an MJ. There was going to be a team doing this together. Two, we're going to be a rescue ship. We're not here to serve ourselves. We're not going to be a cruise ship. We're going to go and we're going to serve the lost, the last, and the least for the glory of God. And then the third picture, which today we're going to focus on, is this idea of being a family, of being a spiritual family. The Apostle Paul uh, kind of puts it this way in Galatians 3. He says here, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. That if you call Jesus your Savior, that is the overarching identity of your life and that we are now one. But see, Jesus took it a step further because we think, okay, we have our nuclear family. We have our sisters, our wives, our kids, our, our moms, our dads. In Matthew 12, he says this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. Jesus is making this really grand point here. That the family of God is more real than even our flesh and blood family. That our spiritual family is the primary identity that we have now as we follow Jesus together. So I have this question today. Because that is, that's great, right? That's nice, it's pretty. But how can we be a unified family in a conflicted world? Because I don't know if you know this, the world is a bit conflicted. Just a little bit right now. And so the question is, how can we, 
with all kinds of people and all kinds of thought and all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of preferences. How can we be a unified family in a conflicted world? Because see, we live in a culture now that, that makes the individual supreme, that values not needing other people. It's this value that I can do it myself and just leave me alone, right? We live in a culture that wants immediate results. Like if I'm with you and you're with me and we're not like best friends right away and you don't like everything about me, then I'm just kind of done. Just leave me alone. I don't have time for this. I've got more important things to do. We live in a, in a, in a consumeristic culture that always asks, how is this benefiting me? How is this making my life easier? We live in a, in a culture that does not like diversity, that doesn't like to be around people that don't think and look like us. This is the water of the culture that we swim in. So in a little bit, uh, Chaz and Chris made us some great jambalaya that we're going to have in a minute. And we should thank them all day today for doing that. They spent a lot of work and time doing that. But what I, what I sense, and here's what's funny. We're going to be in Ephesians 4 today. I preached that same text five months ago. <laughs> and what it tells me is that there is still something in the water. There's still something in the jambalaya that doesn't taste right. That when the world, so Jesus says in John 17, when the world tastes and see the church, there should be something different. There should be something delicious and beautiful and enticing about that. But what I fear, what I see, what I sense in our church, in the church, in my life even, is that we were just kind of swimming in the waves of the world way too much. And there's two things that are facing us today. First is this. We don't really value what Jesus values. Hear this. As I was studying this week, and we're going to go really a through line through the New Testament on being the family of God and what that means to be a follower in a family of God. And I, I just, at, at our core, the things we promote, the things we give ourselves over to are not what Jesus valued. They're what the world values. And second is this right here. I don't think we really know God's heart. I think we kind of know some things about God. We've learned this or learned that. But on an intimate level, we don't know God's heart. We have let our view of ourselves or our view of man project onto God's heart, onto God's mercy, onto God's grace. And if I'm honest, in my unchecked, in an unchecked spirit of mine, many days, maybe you can relate to this, I just want to be left alone, Right? Like, I can take care of myself, take care of my kids. I can do this on my own. That's the best way to do this. But our text in Ephesians today is going to kind of push back on that and answer both of these issues for us. Let's go there. Ephesians 4, verse 1. The Apostle Paul says here, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... He's literally a prisoner as he writes this, by the way. It's not like some, like, you know, metaphor. Like, he's literally a prisoner as he writes this. I urge you to walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do not skip past this, please, this morning. Do you ever urge your kids to do something? Please put on your shoes faster. Just please, I urge you to. I urge you to do this. There's just this, you hear it in his voice in, in, in this letter. He, this is just this. He spent chapters one through three of Ephesians laying out who Christ is and what he did for his church. This objective truth. But then in Ephesians 4, he starts this. Now, in light of what Christ did, live this way. And he's urging the church to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. That word calling there reminds us of this word vocation. That he, what he's saying here, this is your primary vocation. So in this room, we have hundreds of different kinds of jobs, right? Nurses, teachers, doctors. My mind's blank now. All those kinds of jobs are in this room, right? And we think that is our primary vocation. But, but hear this. We have a spiritual reality that's greater than our flesh and blood reality. And your vocation is to walk in a manner worthy of your calling in church. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you have been bought with a great price. And you have a great calling that is much greater than we can even imagine. Let me keep going here. He's doing two things here. First, he's talking about our calling. He's laying out the primary calling of the life of a Christian, the life of a follower of Jesus. And second, he's saying here, there is a way. There is a way we live and walk. Like in our house, if our, if our kid says something, if, if my kids ever said shut up, right? You know this, boys, right? I, yeah, there's Cullen right now. But if, if, I, if I said shut up, they lose their mind. Like, what'd you say, daddy? We can't say that in this household because there's a way that we do things in our house. What Paul is saying, there is a way the people of God live out their calling. There are certain family values that define us as a people. And I think many times we in the church, we think that the mission, that we can do whatever it takes to do the mission of God, but the way we live out our mission is just as important. Here's what I mean. You might find somebody online you disagree with that is posting vile things about God. But if you respond to vileness with vileness, you've lost the mission, correct? There is a way that the people of God act. There's the way the people of God live together. And that's what Paul is defining here. So what are these family values? Look at verse 2. He says here, with all humility. It's going to be a fun sermon today, isn't it? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is where I said, well, I think one of our issues today is that we don't value what Jesus valued. Because I read these right here, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, maintaining peace and unity. I don't see that in our waters many times. What, what I really see, even in my own heart sometimes, is, is this kind of, these values of, of selfishness, right? The value of harshness. Like, I, I'm just going to say what I want to say. I don't care what you think, right? 
Many times we're not peacemakers. Many times, if we're honest, we're gossipers or we're passive aggressors. Look at me right here. Ask my wife about that. We're all these things, but, and then maintaining unity, being peacemakers. Many of us, how do I say this? Like if you offend me, and I can't be offended. If you offend me, many times what I do in my wrong posture is I won't confront the person that I was offended by me. She just called me to do. I'll hold on to it, right? Is that what we do? We just hold on to it, think of being the better person. What's happening is we're holding on to it. We're not walking as peacemaker, and we get bitter and bitter and more and more distant and more and more distant, and there's these walls in our church, right? Because we're living out different kind of values than what Christ and the Apostle Paul is instructing us to do here. So, these family values, this idea of humility, hear this, it literally means lowliness. It literally means lowliness that we see ourselves in the right perspective. The perspective that God sees us, which of course is loved, forgiven sons and daughters, but no more special than the person next to you. That we're not above anyone, that he has the ultimate authority. Humble people bring life to a room, don't they? Humble people, they're the people in the room that are, that are never concerned about themselves. They're always asking and checking on, well, how are you doing? Humble people just bring this great aroma to a family. We must put on humility. We must put on gentleness. I will say, as we're talking through these things, there's this idea that these are fruits of the Spirit that you cannot produce on your own. That is true. You can't do this on your own. But it doesn't mean that you don't work. It doesn't mean that you don't actually try to practice these things. There's many times that you don't want to be humble. And you sure do not want to be gentle when that jerk said it for the third time in a row, right? We don't want to practice gentleness then, do we? But here's what gentleness is. It is seeing others the way Christ sees us. How gentle has Christ been to me? That is how we practice gentleness. Patience. Humility, gentleness, patience. These family values. This idea of patience, this idea of it's committing to the long game with each other. So me and Tracy, every six months, we like pull out the uh, old pictures and videos of our kids and just like cry for two hours. And this happened last night, literally. We're watching um, uh, Baby Hayes and Baby Connor and Baby Hattie dance to Baby Shark. Oh, man, three, four babies there. And, and um, I'm just weeping, just weeping. I'm hearing Hayes and Connor and Hattie, like, talk the way we used to. If you have young kids, you feel this. You feel like it's never going to end, right? They're never going to do the things. But then over time, slowly by slowly, minute by minute, they grow up, don't they? And you see this And of course, as their father, I'm committed to that slow process of growth. And this idea of patience is that we are all in this room, a work in progress. Amen? We're all a work in progress. 
And so we have to practice patience with one another. Well, how many times do I forgive? Seven or maybe 70? No, you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. We practice patience with one another. And here's why. I need you to be patient with me. Hear, hear this. I'm a better pastor now than I was 10 years ago. But I'm still not fully arrived as a pastor. I need your patience with me. You need my patience with you. That is part of the values of the family. Then he goes to, he says here, bear, okay. These are all like nice and kind of pretty. Oh, humility and gentleness and patience. Then Paul ramps it up, bearing with one another in love. Because Paul knew this was going to be hard. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be let down over and over again by the same people. How do you think God feels? That is why we must bear with one another in love. What this really is, it's looking each other in the eye and saying, I'm going to love you until the end. Until I'm gone or until you're gone. Through death, not just through leaving. (laughs) The, 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 the image in our culture that makes the most sense is a parent and a child. It's, it's not wife and husband anymore because that is too disposable really now. But if I was to leave my kids, you would hate me, right? You would just cast me off and say I'm terrible. And you'd be wrong. That, right, that, right. That, that is terrible. But what I'm trying to say is this. In our culture, parents don't stop loving their kids. Do they? There's some extreme examples, of course, but primarily when, when a child commits a criminal act, the only person going to the jail to visit them is their parents many times because parents don't give on their kids. What, what, this, what Paul is saying here is as the family of God, we have that same level of bearing with one another in love. It's that phrase that we say to each other, brother, sister, I'm not going anywhere. Do y'all know how powerful that is to somebody? I have friends in this room that have seen me at my darkest and said, I'm not going anywhere. It's through that bearing with Jason and love that we're here. We have to practice this idea of just staying with each other. It doesn't mean God can't call us somewhere else, but we do have this primary posture of staying put. And last of these kind of family values that Paul addresses is that we are eager. We are eager to maintain unity. That unity as the family of God is our primary concern. Unity is our primary concern. Because we know two things. One, we need each other, correct? We need each other. Hear this, church. We need each other. There is a lie from Satan that says you don't need the jerk sitting next to you. You need the jerk sitting next to you because you're also a jerk. Does that make sense? We need each other. So unity is vitally important. But also, we live in a conflicted and hateful and demonic world. And the church is the city on the hill. It's the unified family of love. But when the world sees the messed up thing it sees right now in the church, the the world is not seeing this full picture of the gospel. So church, we must be eager to maintain 
unity. Look at Paul's words here. Maintain unity. Unity is a gift from God. We did not create unity. Covenant starting did not create unity. The cross of Jesus Christ created unity. And now we as the people of God, we share in this unity. We can't create it, but listen church, we can break it, can't we? We can break unity. If we don't practice humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another, friends, we will break unity. These are our family values, the values of Jesus. We're not going to go there, but you notice these values. This is the through line. The Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, the humble. Blessed are the meek, the gentle. Blessed are the peacemakers who keep unity. This is the message of Jesus lived out. And then Paul writes in Galatians, these are the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. This is the through line throughout the New Testament of how the people of God are supposed to be. These are friends, our family values. And when we in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions begin to subscribe to worldly values that are opposed to these, hear this, we are off. That means that we, the church, should repent of these lesser values and believe in something else and something new. But here's a subtle trap that, that, that you fall into and I fall into as we, we, we hear this. And if you're like me, you're, you're inspired right now. You're motivated to be gentle, aren't you? Like, yeah, I know that person, but I've got to be nicer to them, Right? I don't know their story. I got to be nicer to them. All right, I'm going to stick in. I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick to this thing. I'm going to give my life to these people. Well, here's what the problem with that is. Like, we get in the car and that's gone, right? As soon as I get in the car and a kid's doing something, that, that idea of being gentle is gone. Like, how do I say this? We need something deeper. Because I mentioned earlier, as I started the sermon, there's two issues. The first, that we don't value what Jesus values. And, and we see that in these themes in Ephesians 4, that Paul is exhorting the church to walk in. We can see how we're off on some of those things, right? And what happens is we try to do better and we don't. You're still going to be non-gentle sometimes. You're going to lack patience sometimes. That's going to happen in your life. So we need something deeper, something greater. That's why the second issue is so important. The second issue is we don't know God's heart. We don't know God's heart. But Ephesians 4 starts with a really important word. You see it there? Verse 1. He says, I therefore. And when you see that word therefore, it's always a clue, isn't it, in Scripture? It's always a clue to look back. What is, he, what is the therefore about. And this link here indicates that Christian conduct follows from Christian doctrine, from who God is and what he did. That the duty of Christians derives directly from the unspeakable debt of gratitude that they owe, that they owe for all that we have received in Christ. So what Paul is saying here 
once you receive this work or as you receive this work of Christ in your life, then extend that same love to others. But let's get specific here on this work of Christ. Look at Ephesians 3, verse 14, which is right before our Ephesians 4. Paul has laid out in these previous chapters just this idea of what God has done. And he ends these three chapters with this prayer right here. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, so that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Now hear this. So that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, the church, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, rooted and grounded in love. This is the soil of God's people. And this tells us our primary issue is that when we see that we're, that we're not really practicing or even desiring to be gentle or patient, or peacemakers. If we, if we don't even desire that, that means that the roots of our faith have gotten misplaced. See, many of us have tasted and experienced this love of Christ, haven't you? If you profess faith in him, you have some kind of moment. But I think the issue is that, that we, we leave that love for more mature Christianity, that we leave the simplicity and the foundation that we as a people, we have the living water that we must go to to receive everything we need. That we go to God to receive his love over and over and over again. That is the essence of Christian maturity. It's not simply knowing more things about God. It literally is as simple as Jesus loves me for this I know. This is childlike faith. Friends, hear this. We don't leave this for deeper waters. This is the water that the Christian swims in. Uh, we, we took a trip to um, Disney World that we saved money for and time for. And it's a special moment for our family. And I'll, I'll never forget this. Me and Hayes were at one of these parks and everybody's walking around. And we're just sitting for a minute because it's exhausting. It's so exhausting. And, uh, but it's great. It's great. And... Talking to Hayes, and, and, um, and I'm a cheesy pastor dad. I just am. And I'm like, oh, does God love you, buddy? All that kind of stuff, all the time. That's what I do. And, and me and Hayes are talking, and he says, we're talking about God, how much he loves us. And he said, Daddy, you love me like a thousand. It's like, yeah, bud, but God loves me infinity. And tears. And I told him, buddy, if you can remember that, hold on to that cling to that, and live from that, you will have no problems in this world. Friends, we have forgotten that he loves us infinity. 
the height, the breadth, the depth, the width. It's this picture of just this love covers everything. In Scripture, we see this metaphor for God. He's a father, right? Who loves his kids, who wants to give them good gifts. He's a friend of sinners. He is the groom that came for his bride. Think about that for a moment. That encompasses all of our relational love in this world, doesn't it? As a parent who loves your kid, you would do anything for them. As a husband for your wife, you would die to protect her and to see her thrive, wouldn't you? And for a friend, a godly friend, a brother or sister who would die for you, that is the encompassing love of God. And it's not, it's not that we are like, clean ourselves up, then we're good. No, God loves you. He's a friend of sinners. This love, this love is the through line throughout the Bible. This is the message of Scripture. This is the great purpose of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Look at John 17. He's about to go to the cross. This is his great high priestly prayer to his father. Verse 20, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, people. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one as even we are one. I think Christ wants us to be one. What do you think as we read this? He says here, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Here it comes. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The way the Father loves the Son, the way that he loves us, the way that we show the world the perfect love of a triune God. John 15 says this, as the Father has loved me, I'll remind you, this is an eternal, supernatural, we can't understand kind of love that has always existed. That kind of love, Jesus loves us sinners. So have I loved you. He says here, abide in my love. Friends, this is the water that Christians swim in. We don't leave this for deeper waters. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. In His love, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is the source. The vine is the source. Abide in his love. We're going to wrap up today with this last text in Luke 7. And here's a little just secret from uh, one of your pastors. Every time we preach, we have all these notes. But there's like, you know, one thing in there that like we really want to preach. That like this is why you get up early in the morning, you pray. and It's this right here that I hope that we can understand here. The heart of the Father for you and for me. Because the primary way that God has expressed his love for us 
is by taking on yours and mine, my vile sins and forgiving them. Look at Luke 7 verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask, flax, flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Hear this, church. This is the primary way I think that we falter because we see others and ourselves in the same way. That we are so vile that God wants nothing to do with us. Now, sometimes God in his great love will hold his nose and tiptoe towards us, but he doesn't really love us. And here's why, because we say we are sinners. But look at the response of Jesus. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, (laughs) I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. Verse 41, well, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, well, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, your sins, my sins, our sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much but he who is forgiven little loves little and he said to her your sins are forgiven and here's the core issue he who is forgiven little loves little and friends we just forget how deep and rampant our sins are. Because church, we have one thing to boast about in this room, and that is Jesus Christ. That is it. That is our calling card. It's not great stages or great lights, I guess, whatever we might do around here. It's not great kids ministry. It's not great pastors. It's not great people. It's a great Jesus. That's the only thing that we as the people of God have to boast over. And we forget that that's when these other things pop up. When we forget how much we've been forgiven, that we're not going to be gentle to each other, are we? 
But we've forgotten how gentle God has been to us. When we forget how dang patient God has been with me, I don't show patience to others, do I? When I forget the lengths that Christ went to to make us one, then I don't take unity very seriously. When we forget, when we don't know, when we don't cultivate God's love for us, all these things fall apart. So here's the big idea for today. It's a little cheesy, but it's going to help you remember this. The equation for being a unified family is this right here. We receive God's love plus extend God's love equals a unified family. If we can learn to really practice this, that the core of us, the habit of us, the practice of us, the meaning of our lives was to sit and receive God's love and then extend God's love, we would create this beautiful, flawed, unified family. All right, I'm going to give you a little news flash as we end the day. Every person at every one of these tables and in the back and in the kids' area and roaming around the bathrooms and the halls, every single person is a vile sinner in this room. It's not just you. It's not just you. Hear this. As one of your pastors that knows a lot of the stuff people in this room, we're all messed up, man. I know my own head, my own heart. I know many of your issues. We're all messed up. Listen, church, in this room right now, we have people that, we have drug addicts in this room. We have porn addicts in this room. We have people who have been unfaithful to their spouse in this room. We have people who are doubting God in this room. We have people in this room that are walking through really dark things. Church, what we need is to stop hiding. We've all been forgiven much. Not one person in this room has been forgiven little. There is not one superstar in this room. What we need is to learn to cultivate knowing the heart of God and exposing our mess to each other. We have this idea that if we just, that there's this great value in hiding and grinning and bearing our shame. There's no value in that. It just perpetuates sin and shame more and more. talking to a friend this week and we were talking about this idea of just brokenness and all these things and he, he was talking about man it's just you know when people begin to like unpack their sin right like to like let it out there while I'm walking in this that's when it gets messy right and he was like man I, I bet you just kind of hate when you get that phone call of, of someone that's just kind of walking in their mess and I was like man that's the complete opposite Listen, whenever you call me or Luke or, or Jeff or another leader in our church and you're, you're coming to confess even the darkest things in the world, I get giddy. Because friends, once it's out there, we can get to work. But if the stuff stays in the darkness, friends, we can never get to work. And my prayer is that we can know the heart of God and that we can begin to operate on just a deeper level with each other. Where we don't confess once the house is burning down, we confess when there's a spark of fire. And that we 
as a unified family, it's a safe place to like deal with our sin. Like there's nothing to be ashamed of if you're confessing your sins. The heart of God is a heart as a friend of sinners. Listen, your sin is great. His mercy is more. So we as a people, the greatest thing we can do is bring light to the darkness. I need to wrap up. This is the secret of being a unified family in a conflicted world. Receive God's love plus extend God's love and we create this unified family, right? So how do we do this? How do we land this plane? How do I walk in this tomorrow? I've got a few steps for us. The first, steps to receive. Steps to receive God's love. How do I begin to actually receive God's love? Here's my first advice. Drag your sin into the light. You'll never receive forgiveness and, and, the, and truthfully, the, the feeling of God's love until your sin is brought into the light. Have you been in a room with people who have confessed their junk? It is such a joyful room, isn't it? It is. Once all the pretense is gone, and we're like, man, I, this is where I'm at. And that's when grace can abound. Drag your sin in the light. Repent. Turn away from the values, the addictions, the mess you have, and receive God's love. Believe in his love. Paul says, I pray that you will by faith understand God's love for you. Second, we have to develop habits and practices of receiving God's love. This is not a one-time thing at VBS when we were seven years old. And these also aren't habits of earning. Hear this, church, we don't read our Bibles every day to like earn God's favor. We read our Bibles because that's how we receive God's love. We talk to God not to earn his favor, but that's how we receive God's love. And also, here's another thing. We receive God's love in environments like this. I can't tell you over the past 10 years, there are hundreds of stories of me coming in to a Sunday or somebody's house in our church, and I am struggling. Happened this week. Um, Wednesday, I, I was woke up in a complete funk. Complete funk. And um, me and Leighton, we talk almost every day on the phone after we took our kids off. Well, I didn't call Leighton that morning because I didn't want to talk to him. And he called me. And um, I just said, I'm in a funk this morning. He didn't, like, you know, say anything or, you know, pray some prophetic prayer. He just listened as a friend. And then um, Tracy texted me. I said, you doing okay? I was like, no. It's like, well, I'm praying for you. I love you. That's all she said. Nothing crazy. And then I see Luke at the office. I'm like, we're just both burdened by a lot of things in the church and the world. And we just pray. And, um, and then I met my, my friend and brother Adam for lunch. And we weeped Buffalo Wild Wings together. And um, I mean this. I would not be where I'm at without the people of God loving me. It's just that simple. And we start hiding and start fighting and forgetting how much we've been, we've been loved by God. It's over, friends. And, and, and truthfully, like, who wants to be at that church? It's a lot of work to play games, isn't it? Go to an easier church if you want to do that. I'm serious. It's much more comfortable. But, it, but if we're going to do all this work every single week, let's really be the church, right? Like, let's stop playing games because we desperately need 
each other. I've got to finish. I'm sorry. We've got to develop habits. That means we have to be around people. People help us receive God's love. Their prayers, their encouraging words, the smiles, the hugs, the foods. Those are supernatural things that God does for us. And we avoid those normal means of grace. We are missing out on receiving God's love. But we don't just receive, we also must extend God's love. The the first step to extending God's love, we have to repent to those that we have not extended grace to. If we're honest, there's people in this room that we have not extended the love of Christ to. And if we offended them, we need to go to them and make that right. We have to fight and be eager to maintain unity. And then second, we have to develop habits and practices of being around others to extend God's grace. Listen, if you're not around, you can't extend God's grace. It's that simple. We have to think um, Wednesdays, not Sundays, or Tuesdays, not Sundays. It's really hard to really extend grace in five minutes while you tear down curtains. It's really hard. But at someone's house, over coffee, on the phone, we have to practice those steps. We have to be around each other in order to actually live as a unified family. So here's my encouragement. Primarily receive God's love, take steps steps to to practice extending God's love to others. And I promise you, in the next 10, and and Paul ends Ephesians 3 with with this phrase, far more abundantly than we can even imagine. I want you to imagine a unified family in a conflicted world where black, white, rich, poor, Republican, Democrats, Shreveport, Bossier, all the things that divide us, right? There's this phrase that in friendship where, you know, you're in high school and you have this hobby and you find someone else who has the same hobby like, oh, I like basketball. Oh, you like basketball too? Oh, so you too, you're like me. What's happened is the, the, the you twos of our world of like, well, you like this, you like this person have superseded our, our greatest common thing, which is, We are forgiven and loved sons and daughters. Imagine a church where that is our primary common bond. What could God do? How encouraged could we be as a family? What kind of picture to a watching world would we give? Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, thank you for um, just the goodness of your gospel. Thank you for your forgiveness for broken and flawed sinners like me. And Lord, thank you for your dysfunctional, take one step forward, two steps back family. But thank you for being the steadfast, merciful, gentle, patient, loving God. Lord, help us the people to receive your love this morning. Jesus, we love you. We do all this for your glory. We love you, Jesus. Amen.